are you? I'm no one. According to the statistics, all of you went and watched that movie four times this year. <laughs> so uh, it was a big deal uh, toward the end of this last year. And of course, uh, the movie uh, that is the new Star Wars movie was not authored or written by some theologically sound human being that was trying to connect the gospel to a beautiful movie. It has all sorts of weird implications to it. And so there's articles across the board, especially in the Christian world, about what it really means and what weird stuff is in it and what we should jump in or not jump in. But when something is this big, uh, it is always most fun for me to look into it and see if there is a beautiful redemptive theme that runs through it that allows the gospel uh, to cover it and transcend it and bring it to the table. And I got to tell you, there are few storylines more easy to tie to the beauty of the gospel than this one. I mean, the Star Wars theme, you, you don't even have to blink. I think they accidentally wrote a story about the gospel. They just didn't know they were doing it. So uh, always exciting for me when something that is this quick and easy to tie to the story that is unfolding between us and God uh, is, is that easy. It's, it's always fun. So I, I went and watched the movie and loved the movie, loved the storyline in this movie. And I got to tell you, the preview was brilliantly done because if you have not seen the movie, the preview tells you nothing. But if you have seen the movie, the preview tells you everything, right? Isn't that funny? You hardly ever see a preview like that. Like if you've seen it, you're like, oh, Oh, that, that's the whole story right there in the preview. How did I not catch that before I went and saw the movie? Because they were just that good in the way that they did this particular preview. And I, and I love this preview. I loved it the first time I saw it. I love it almost as much as I love the movie because everything that matters is in this preview. They are two characters that we are introduced to in this storyline of the new Star Wars. One is a young woman 
And she lives uh, on an abandoned world in a desert town, and she runs around scraping together trinkets to try to carve out a living for herself so that she can stay alive long enough to realize a past that is long gone that she hopes for but is relatively hopeless. And so she just goes through the motions day in and day out, stuck in her past, wishing for a future that she cannot see and probably will not get. That's where we begin with her. And if you asked her, who are you? Her answer would be, I'm nobody. I know that because that was in the preview. She actually said it. I'm nobody. And that's where she lives. The second character we are introduced to in this new Star Wars film is a young man that turns out to be enslaved by the dark side. He wears the white suit with the helmet. He fights for the dark side. He is indoctrinated by the dark side. He is part of the dark side. And in a sequence of events, he recognizes that this is not where he wants to be. And he engages in a journey trying to escape from the dark side. Once he has escaped, he finds himself in a life where he is running from his past, trying to escape the shame and fear that comes with it, and just trying to survive long enough. And he is so afraid of his past that whenever confronted, he lies about who he was and about who he is, because he desperately wants to be part of what is good, but he knows he cannot because he is part of what is dark. And then... One of my favorite scenes in the entire movie that I'm not going to give away because it's in the preview, you've already seen it, is the scene that you see in the preview where Han Solo, and if you go, you, did, you just told me Han Solo was in the movie, he, you saw it in the preview. If you didn't know that was Han Solo, you shouldn't be watching these films. Okay, so... He's in, the, he's in the preview, and in that beautiful scene where the two new characters, one lost in a desert town, thinking of themselves as nobody, one enslaved by the darkness, come together, land on Han Solo's ship, and that scene where you heard her say, I've heard stories of the past, stories of these legendary things that have happened, and Han Solo says, oh, they are all true. They are all true. And it is in that moment in the movie that these two brand new characters who thought they were nobody lost to a, a past discover that they are actually part of a grand unfolding story that uh, happened long before they came on the scene and will continue to happen long after, but they play an integral part in the story and they thought of themselves as nothing and yet turn out to be the heroes of the new movie. And that's something worth watching, right? Because that is our story. That is our story. That is the story of us who belong to God, us who are the church. This is how our lives unfold. As we jump into scripture, what is revealed to us is that our story, yours and mine, began in the same place. We began enslaved by the darkness, enslaved to the realities of darkness. We had a sin nature that enslaved us. And so we functionally lived out of that darkness for that darkness and our lives were driven by that darkness. Uh, we were enslaved to sin. 
And out of that enslavery, we lived a life where we collected as many trinkets as we can to try to survive so that we could make it from the beginning to the end with some sense of moving forward, holding on to a past that frankly we had no hope for a better future of. That's where we all kind of begin. Different stories, different circumstances, some less aware of that because prosperity can cover it, but the reality is at the end of the day, our souls all beginning in the same place. And it is out of that story that the gospel begins to reveal a wondrous reality about who we were actually meant to be and how we are actually written into the story. I'm not making this stuff up. It's what the scriptures reveal. Let let me show you briefly what I'm talking about. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, Paul is writing, and if you're using one of the Bibles we use, it's page 674 if you'd like to go there, or you can just listen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes and he says this about us, about you and about I. Here's what he says. And you were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by, ch- by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there is our beginning. We are enslaved, as Paul would say in Romans, we are slaves to sin. We are enslaved by the darkness. It really doesn't change until verse 4 happens. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we are lost, we are dead, we are enslaved. And then God invites us into a grand story of rescue, of redemption, of restoration by his great love. That's what Paul is writing here. Peter writes the same thing about us, but instead of writing it about us as individuals like Paul is, Peter writes it about us as a group of people, a gathering of the saints. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to the church, and this is what he says. First uh, Peter chapter 2, page 702 of the Bibles uh, that we provide, if you have one of those. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. L- listen to who we are. Listen to who we were. Okay, watch this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So that's who we are now, right? That is an extraordinary picture of our part in this wondrous story that God is unfolding in his redemptive work against the darkness. This is what he says in the very next verse about who we once were. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, there is this revelation in the scriptures that this group, this gathering, and the greater gathering we are part of, this thing called the church, is in fact an adventure we are called into, invited into, despite who we once were, into something bigger than we could have ever imagined being part of. Jesus, in fact, our Redeemer, our Savior, our, our Rescuer, while He was on this planet, he unpacked very briefly in a conversation to his disciples what this gathering of the saints would ultimately be and the power it would hold and his intent for the church. There was a scene that took place in the book of Matthew, one of the gospels, where the disciples were gathered around Jesus and many people at this point in Jesus' time on this planet were telling lots of stories about who they thought he was. Some thought he was John the Baptist, uh, come back. Some thought he was Elijah, come back. Some thought all sorts of things. And so he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the one who runs his mouth too often, uh, runs his mouth and, and this time gets it right. He says, well, you are the Christ. The Christ, the, the Redeemer, the Promised One, the Great Rescuer, the One who will come and set all things right, the One who has come for us to make everything in the future good, the One that was promised to come and save everything, redeem everything, restore everything, rescue everything. Now, he didn't say all that in that passage. He just said, you are the Christ. But in the Jewish context, if you said someone was the Christ, that's what you meant. Because they knew what it meant that this would be the Christ, the Messiah. The Messiah embodied everything I just said and more. And Jesus replies to Peter after he makes that statement in Matthew chapter 16. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 16 on page six, uh, 567 if you're interested of the Bibles we provide. Matthew chapter 16 verse 17. Listen to this. So Peter's just said that you are the Christ. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that's uh, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On, one, on what rock are we talking about? Just as a reminder, on the confession that Peter made on the reality that Peter declared, on the fact that Peter said was true. Peter said, you are the Christ, and Jesus said, on that declaration, on that reality, on that truth, I will build something called the church, and it will be unbelievable, right? So Peter says, you are the Christ, and Jesus says, on that confession, you're gonna see what happens. All those who come to understand that as a truth, I will gather them, and when they are gathered, knowing that to be true, after I've done in them what I promise, they will become a force to be reckoned with. But what kind of a force will they become? He says it right here, listen to this. And on, that, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? 
that, that Jesus said he was going to establish a gathering of people that had come to discover the realities of who he was and, and received his saving grace, his transformative, redemptive work, and he would gather them and they would go out into the world that is dark and difficult and enslaved and struggling, and they would become a force against the forces of darkness, which means they would carry light and life and freedom into darkness and death and bondage. And this force would go out and the darkness will not prevail against it. Not even the gates of hell that are the, 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 the stronghold of where we could break through will prevail against this force. This was Jesus' high view and high vision of the gathering of the saints that he would bring together as the result of that confession, that discovery that Peter made that was the truth of who Jesus was. Then the author of Hebrews, among other authors, begins to write to us about this reality of the church. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews starts in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and half of 10, declaring a single idea the supremacy of Christ. And, and actually, really, the supremacy of Christ isn't even a strong enough English statement for what the author of Hebrews does, chapter 1 through the middle of chapter 10. It is the absolute supremacy of Christ. If I could find a bigger word than supremacy, I would use it. It is that Jesus is everything. He has done everything. He has made everything possible. He is our high priest. He is our way. He is our mediator. He is the means by which we can enter the presence of God without dying. He has made the holy of holies an accessible space where we can engage an intimate relationship with the creator of such holiness that if we were to be with him, we would die. And we don't have to fear that anymore because of what Jesus has done. So this is what he lays out, right? You are absolutely free because of Jesus. And he is absolutely supreme in all things. And then in the middle of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, he puts this word, therefore. And whenever you hear therefore, it means in conclusion of all this stuff you now know, there ought to be a response. Therefore, since all this is true, this is what needs to happen now. And let's take a look at what that therefore is. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, writes these words in verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 10, page 696, if you're paging with us, 696. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, so we can enter the presence of God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, our high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast, listen to this now, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to, live, uh, to love and good works. How to stir up one another to love and good works. How are we going to do that? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more to see, uh, to, uh, as you see the day drawing near. 
So here's what he says. Now that you know this reality of the gospel, you are to gather together uh, among one another. You are to preach this confession to one another, preach the gospel to each other. And in so doing, unpacking the wonder and implications of the gospel, you are to inspire one another, stir one another up, spur one another on toward the gospel call. Love and good works. That's what we are to do. It's not complicated. At the end of chapter 10, after he's unpacked this reality of who we are, he reminds us of a bigger picture than we could have ever imagined. Hebrews chapter 11 begins with a declaration of faith, what it is, and then it is an entire chapter of great men and women who lived by faith and saw the incredible implications of faith the redemptive story playing out, right? You got Abel that starts that journey off. You got Abraham in there and Moses in there and Sarah in there and Rahab in there, Gideon in there and Samson in there. These guys weren't perfect. These women weren't great. They made giant messes of their lives like we do. They have stories. They're written down, tragic for them, uh, that are terrible decisions, unwise in every way. And yet they end up in this hall, not because they are perfect, but because they followed God by faith and lived their lives in this redemptive manner, and so their story played out as part of the story of God. And at the end of this chapter, chapter 11, another therefore appears in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. See, this is our moment as the church. Supremacy of Christ, here's therefore who you need to be, gather, spur one another up, preach the gospel to each other, and go do great works on behalf of Christ. And when you get a little tired, remember that many before you have lived this story before you ever showed up. And many after you will do the same because this movement, the church, is multi-generational, spanning the generations, and multi-geographical, spanning the globe. So you are a part of a giant story. It's our scene right here on Han Solo's ship. Going, we've heard stories. And the author of Hebrews shouting back, they're all true. They're all true. And we go, you're kidding. I thought they were just like legend. No, no, they really happened. There was really a Gideon, a really an Abraham. They really lived this way. Sarah and Rahab were really there. And, and they lived this way. And look, look. So now you too understand you are part of something giant that is awesome, that is being written by an author who is bigger than all of us put together. That's what he's declaring. Now look what he declares about that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, like they did, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of the cross, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, it's like he's saying, when it gets hard, when it gets crazy... And you're flying your little thing, and the enemy's coming, and they're firing you, firing. And then you look across, and the person that wasn't the main actor in the movie blows up. And you're like, oh, I should feel sad for them, but I don't know them, so it's okay. As long as this guy doesn't die, right? When all that's happening around you, 
You might grow weary and lose heart. You might turn and flee. But he goes, don't. Consider the story that you are part of. Consider what this whole reality looks like. You are part of a giant global movement that crosses geographies and crosses generations. A movement launched into being by the creator and sustainer himself that has allowed us for centuries, for millennia to live out this story. We are part of that global movement and the purpose of that global movement is to storm the darkness unafraid and whatever price is paid in that storming is worth it because at the end of the day, here's what we know, the gates of hell will not prevail against them, against us. So we move forward even when the pain comes. Because if you're going to fight the darkness, as Star Wars mightily demonstrated to us, it comes with a price. You know, the people in Star Wars didn't put on suits and ties and nice dresses and go out and bless people in the dark side. They would die. They got in fighter jets and they got in suits of armor and they flew out there and they fired at the darkness as the darkness fired at them to set free the captives that were held captive by the darkness. And so too, we are called into a war zone of darkness, not against the world. The world is not against us, feels like it sometimes. So we, we oh, they're, they're against us. They're not against us. They are like that young man in the white suit with the white helmet. They are enslaved as we have been by the darkness itself, chasing the wind. And we are the force as a cumulative gathering to enter into that space and bring life and light and freedom by the way we act and by the words we use. This is what we are part of. And what is our part in this grand, multi-generational, multi-global story? Our part in our generation, in our geography, is to create a local expression of this giant force called the church to gather up the saints of God, to preach the gospel to one another, to spur one another up and stir one another up and, and inspire one another. And then in that inspiration, to go out into the world to be the very force we were created to be on behalf of Christ, empowered by His Spirit as He leads us out to be redemptive in a dark world. And in order to do that, Paul will say in Ephesians, the leadership of the gathering in the local context ought to be equipping the saints so when they go out inspired, woo, they don't get shot the first time they walk out the door and go, ah, and come running back, shutting the doors and singing, kumbaya. Because that's what happens a lot, right? Go out with great intentions to change the world. It gets really hard. We come running back. We gather up. We shut the doors. And go, Save us from the world. And we are to equip you so that that doesn't happen. So when it gets hard and it gets rough and you get shot, you get back up and you enter back in because you remember as I do that we are part of the church and the church will prevail against the darkness because that's what Jesus said. And that's what we get to do. That's how we get to play. And then we get to go change the world. 13 years ago, a little over 13 years ago, as God stirred in my wife and I this stirring to move to Central Florida and to be part of the, uh, of the birthing of a new local expression of this global church in this geography. As we came to plant Mosaic Church and gathered the team of people that were stirred along with us to come and be part of this story. And then over the first year or two or three of launching this new local expression, gathering a few saints here and there 
as they didn't know they were saints, some of them, but uh, ended up hearing the gospel and figuring out they were saints. Oh, who knew, right? And that's what we get to do, right? We gather those who have already discovered the gospel. We go out to those who have not yet discovered it, and they don't even know that they belong to this story, like that young lady in Star Wars did not know, and that young man did not know. But we get to tell them. We get to go, this is awesome redemptive story, and God loves you, and here's the gospel. And then many of them will go, oh, wow, I had no idea. And then we gather those saints. And over the the years, uh, my wife and I, along with the other saints that started gathering, started dreaming from that beginning of a church, a local expression of the global church, a local gathering of saints that would begin to mature in their understanding of the gospel to the point where the cultural realities that measure their behaviors will begin to diminish and the gospel's realities that will change behaviors will begin to increase and suddenly we would find ourselves with a bunch of people that start thinking and acting differently in the world. They enter their relationships differently, whether it's friendships or marriages or parenting, uh, child relationships or, or workplace relationships. They would start acting differently. They would start handling their circumstances differently, finding great ability to transcend the difficult ones and use the good ones for the glory of God. They would utilize their resources differently because they would mature into a place where they believe that the story is what they're now part of and that their part in the story as mine is, as ours is, is as a united force to enter in with our circumstances, relationships, and resources and to be redemptive in every single one of them, with every single one of them. And we dreamt of a place that would begin to feel like that, where hundreds of saints would gather mature in their vision of the gospel and their understanding of the gospel and beginning to behave accordingly. And we wondered what a place like that would look like, a place that we could say demonstrates our passion for God in our worship, in our gathering, in our inspiration toward one another with the gospel and in the way we live for him in every circumstance, relationship, and with every resource and demonstrates our passion for people on God's behalf understanding that we are the ambassadors of Christ, the ministers of reconciliation on behalf of Christ for people to God. That's a pretty big deal. And we thought, what would it look like if we spent time developing that kind of a local expression of the church? So we did. The last decade and three years or so, so 13 years, We have been diligently working together to gather the saints and to make the gospel in every part of everything we do known, understood, and clarified so that those gospel truths will begin to measure the way you live and the way I live. And in that doing, we have watched the maturing of pockets and groups and people within our midst, and so suddenly things began to happen. Hundreds of children through foster care and and adoption have entered our story and have found loving, secure, beautiful places to grow up and be nurtured into all that God has made them to be. Widows are beginning to feel the support and the, and the realities of a community that will step into their lives when they need it. The global environment of poverty and struggle is beginning to experience those realities as we as the church step into doing that. Just this last year, a number of people from this church went on multiple trips around the world to go and engage in the global environment. One of those trips was to Cambodia, where Brandon and Natasha Butler are our partners on the ground there, sent out from this church to go and engage in a war against human trafficking. 
And so they fight in those cities in Cambodia to rescue women from the human trafficking trade, to shut down brothels, and to bring those women into a redemptive world where they can be rehabilitated and understand the clarity and wonder of redemption. While we were there, one of our teams was there, we usually carry cash with us so we can buy our meals and pay for our hotels and do that stuff while we're on the ground working. We oftentimes, because we're careful with that stuff, end up with some cash left over. And what we always do is we leave it there because we certainly don't need it back here. And so this time in Cambodia, they had about $1,400 left over at the end of the trip. So they handed it to Brandon and Natasha and said, listen here, take this and use it for whatever you need. So Brandon put it in an envelope and put it somewhere safe because he knew something would come up. He sent us an email a little while later and he said, listen, this is super cool. One of the SWAT teams, because they work closely with the police there, came to them because they know that they are at war against human trafficking and said, listen, there's a brothel we've discovered in town. We want to shut it down. We're short resources. As soon as those resources are made available to us through the system, we will go and do that. It'll be a while. Brandon said, what kind of resources do you need? They said, well, around $1,400. Brandon said, well, I have an envelope. Pulled the envelope, handed it to them. They went, they shut that brothel down, arrested three people, rescued the women that were trapped in that brothel. Those women were brought to Brandon and Natasha, and they are now in a redemptive story being rehabilitated because we left $1,400 there because we went there in the first place because we are maturing as a body and saying, it's hard, it's difficult, it's dangerous, but we get to do it. And so that's what we wanted to do. So in view of all of that, in 2015, that is exactly why we began to talk about the initiative called Get Loud. Because we are loud, but we want to get louder. We want to take the gospel and become loud. And so we shared with you as a church this incredible vision that God has stirred in the elders here for 2016 and 17. We want to see a vision where we can take the facilities we have that are incredibly restrictive to gathering the saints. There are some people right now in the lobby watching a television because you took every seat. There you go. Out in the television, love you guys. You're awesome. Okay, so we need space. We also need space in our children's ministry because we are not babysitting kids. We are equipping saints in that children's ministry, not future saints current saints. Our kids who know Jesus and love him, they are on mission now. We want to help them do it well in their context. But when those rooms are crowded or where we turn you away because we have no more space, we can't equip the saints. So we said to you, we want to see some facilities where we can expand and continue to gather the saints in mass so that we can go and change the world in mass. We said to you that as we gather those saints, we want to equip them with efficiency and effectiveness, having all of the resources to do it, and then we want to be able to send them into the local and global communities with resources in their hands to go and make change. So we need resources for them to carry into the global environment. And what we did was this. We said to realize that vision, we need to see this church declare with a singular voice that we are ready and mature enough to do that that we buy into the realities of the gospel and in buying in our behaviors are gonna shift and we are going to fearlessly release our lives and our resources for the sake of that kind of story because we want in. That's a big question, right? And one of the fastest way in our cultural context to determine where we land in terms of our willingness to be fearless with who we are and what we have is with our resources, our money, right? So we asked you guys to step into a commitment for 2016 and 17 and told you that we need to see 
um, between eight and ten million dollars to realize the vision. Ten to realize it fully, eight to realize it but need some space. You guys made commitments. We've already shared this with you. $8.9 million committed so far in the story. Unbelievable. That was super awesome. And that was the first little shout from our church cumulatively, you and I, to say, we're ready. We're ready. We're going to go do this thing because that's double what our resources have been. So we asked you guys to make significant and fearless jumps. But if I take your commitment card and I go to the bank and I say, hey, Susie made this commitment. There's the number. That's her address. Can I get the money? The bank goes, no. That's not a check. You can't, get a, you can't bring a commitment card in and get the money. So commitment cards are awesome, but they're a little warm and fuzzy, aren't they? Because you can write on them, but it doesn't actually cost you anything. So the real question was this. As we step into this new endeavor, December, the first weekend, how will our church respond? Will they respond unified, fearlessly in their generosity? Or will they respond half-heartedly? And that will tell us the story on whether we can move forward into a grand story being part of this incredible unfolding story. So you all, along with me and my wife, we stepped into the first weekend of December. And all of you that participated in that first weekend in the beginning of the Get Loud Endeavor, here's what that translated. And before I put the number up, listen to this. An average weekend here of just the standard awesome generosity of the people that were giving before Get Loud translated into between forty-five dollars and $50,000 on a weekend, okay? The first weekend in December, we brought in $414,000. $414,000. You all, each of you that participated, bringing to the table what you had fearlessly, that accumulated into almost half a million dollars in one weekend. That is 10 times anything we've ever seen before. So you shouted at one another, oh, we're ready. We're ready. Our commitment cards, they're real. And we're going to do this. So then we figured, I mean, I'm just real, realistically uh, figuring, you all did what I thought you would do. You took all of your resources for December, pulled them into that first weekend, poured them in there. So the rest of December is going to be a light month. But that's okay, because $414,000 is what we wanted to see that was beyond expectation of what we wanted to see that first weekend. You know what happened the rest of December? Here's the funny part, right? On the last day of December, when we closed the books for December, you all, along with my wife and I, we together brought in $799,000 in one month. That's $800,000 in one month. So you didn't pool all your resources the first week. You just kept pooling them throughout the month. You actually took those commitment cards seriously, and you've begun a brand new journey as a church, which means we entered 2016 with over $1 million in the bank sitting in the bank, which means that we together are saying what we said on those commitment cards is real, and we are those that now are mature enough and believe enough in what God is going to do in 2016 and 17 that we're ready to charge this story with all that we have, and that was incredible to watch. Because of your fearless generosity in the month of December, it didn't make the decision difficult for us to say, should we move forward on facilities and equipping the saints and moving into the global partnerships that we want to see? So we were like, no, are you kidding me? 
So we have begun the journey with the facilities already. You will see a picture up on the screen of what that's beginning to transpire into. This is six, seven minutes from here, as you know, on Highway 50, where the Let's Skate, the old um, appliance direct store was. It's kind of a bit of a rundown area, and we are going to redeem that area, starting with this, right? Make it beautiful, because that's what we do as believers. We bring in beauty to the places where it's not beautiful. And we are going to put this together. We are going to close in late February, early March, late March, somewhere in that month. We'll start the renovations, and by the fall, we'll be finished, and we'll be moving into our new facilities sometime between Thanksgiving and December, which is pretty exciting. So next Christmas, you'll actually be able to invite a friend. It's going to be awesome, okay? <laughs> be the first time in nine years that we can tell you to invite a friend. That'll be awesome. So that's exciting. And then as that happens, we will begin to watch the stories born. Uh, this Christmas Eve is a great example. On Christmas Eve, we take an offering. We don't take offerings the rest of the year. We have boxes in the back and uh, we have online giving. But on Christmas Eve, we, Eve, we take an offering and you all go, that's so dumb. That's the one weekend you're not supposed to take an offering because we bring our friends. One, you don't bring your friends because we tell you not to because we don't have space. Two, even if they came, that offering is not actually an offering to help advance the story internally or externally from us. It is a story where we invite people simply to give because there's an organization in our city, we pick one each year that's doing redemptive work and we just want to come alongside them and give them all of it. So if you were here Christmas Eve, you remember I, I said, I practically said don't give. I, I said, look, it's just an invitation. Don't feel weird about it. Awkward. If you don't want to give, don't give. It's just for those of you that want to, all that. So you guys walked out, you threw some resources in there. And in one evening, one evening, we saw $12,000 come in so that we could give to TLC, uh, an organization working with women that are pregnant and don't know what to do. And this culture will tell them some things we do not want for them because it'll be deadly for them, for their children, and for their story. So we want to be redemptive. And we saw that check come in and that check go out and they are moving forward on some awesome vision that they had that they needed those resources for. Next year when we gather in the larger spaces and we inspire larger groups of people, that 12 turns into 50. And you go, that, that's not double. No, I know because we'll be more mature so we'll give much more than double, right? <laughs> and the 50 to 100 and so on and so forth. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean? Usually, the first weekend of the year, this weekend, I get up before our church together and I share with you a vision we hope to realize, a vision we hope to see, a vision for 2016 we hope to be part of, and we will see it unfold and fight for it. And this year is utterly different from all the years before because I'm not standing here telling you there's a vision we hope to see. There's a vision we hope to realize and there's a vision we think will come about. I get to stand here before you and say, because of our fearless living as a church, our fearless generosity and our maturity, we will see the dream awaken this 2016. We will. It's not a question. I'm not here to tell you we hope. I'm here to tell you that if you call Mosaic Church home and you are participating in the Get Loud initiative by giving your resources here and you are participating in the Serve One by giving your time in some way in our local endeavors here, then you get to be part of a story in 2016 where you will see the dreams we have to become a force to be reckoned with in the world of struggle that will bring redemption, you will realize that with us. You will see that with us. You will hear the stories and you will know that like that young woman in Star Wars, like that young man who thought they were nobody, 
thought they had a, a past that disqualified them from being anything special, found out that they were actually written to be heroes in the great story. Not the only heroes, but among them. And if you call this church home and you participate here with your resources in your lives, then let me tell you in 2016, you will be one of the heroes in this story and we will be one of the heroic churches in the grand and unfolding story of redemption that God has written. And that is exciting. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that you have stirred in us all that you have equipped in us, all that you have prepared in us over the last 13 years to get us to this place where we as a church together in unity would be willing to step into fearless generosity and fearless living by declaring through our tangible action the kind of things we just saw in December. God, it is a wonder to watch a gathering of the saints respond actively and sacrificially and fearlessly toward the vision of the gospel, to see us together become part of the wondrous story that you have written and become heroes in the redemptive unfolding story that you are writing now. May we in our generation and in our geography become a wondrous part of what you've made us to be. Would you empower us with your spirit? Would you stir us, spirit of God? Would you Help us release our lives and our resources more than ever. And then would you show us with clarity the, the incredible redemptive stories we get to be part of. We get to be part of. Because you have made us ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation between people and God. And may we live in that space with great joy despite the difficulty that will often come with it. Remind us of what we're part of. Yes, we're warring the dark forces the dark side, but we are on the team that prevails because the gates of hell will not prevail against your church because you are with your church and we are your body, your saints, doing your work for your glory and that is our honor and privilege. We love you, Jesus. Pray in your precious name. Amen.